BJ, welcome to the Bitcoin Source, a Bitcoin conversation. Can we start things off by having you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, yeah, my name is uh, polit Canadian Political Dissident, also known as Bitcoiner or Benjamin Dichter, the author of Honking for Freedom, the, uh, the trucker convoy that gave us hope. And I was the spokesperson for the uh, now infamous um, Canadian Truckers Convoy in 2022. Yes, thank you, BJ, for that introduction. And of course, I think a lot of people around the world know who you are. And I'm just excited as a Bitcoiner to have this conversation with you because, you know, your journey, your story is so multi-layered. There's so much craziness. Like when you when you look at your story, you look at like I've read the book, but then like when I go on Wikipedia or I Google you, like you see some crazy results. Yeah. Like, from yeah, <laughs> we we had a lot. We had a lot of alt right. We have a lot of alt right stuff at my bar mitzvah. <laughs> Truth, but not to get distracted. The first question that I wanted to ask you was you know, your humble beginnings in Bitcoin. So like, where did you first source your knowledge? Like, how did you get started? What what encouraged you to be orange-pilled? I've, I've told this recently a few times when I was uh, around 17 years old. I, um, I, I made it a the conscious decision to, no to not watch TV shows anymore. If I was going to use the idiot box, I was going to learn something. And so I just shifted into news, documentaries. Like, that's all I would watch on television or when I was reading and stuff like that. And uh, I remember I caught a documentary, uh, the entire thing, uh, over the weekend. I don't remember if I – I think I might have pirated it, if I'm not mistaken. But Bill Stills, uh, The Money Changers or The Money Masters, I've seen two, two told, uh, uh, titles for it, depending on who released it. But basically, it was the history of central banking. And, um, and the banking system globally overall and how it worked. And then parallel to that, I, one of my heroes growing up was James Burke. And James Burke had this series, Connections. He's, I had a bunch of series, The Day the Universe Changed and, uh, The Real Thing, a whole bunch of them. And so I always watched, um, his stuff and he as well touched on banking, the history of money and all that sort of stuff. And so at a young age, I came to the conclusion, or maybe I was primed for the opinion, to realize that our financial system is problematic. Now, I'm not a financial guy. My brother is actually the one who works in the finance industry, but I like to learn a little bit of everything and all that sort of stuff. But I'm the computer guy. I'm the techie guy of the family. And later on in life, in 2015, I remember hearing the word Bitcoin Around 2010, I had set up a new business around that time, but uh, didn't dive into it, didn't know what it was, whatever. In 2015, it came on my radar again, and uh, I just, you know, out of curiosity, just because I like tech and, you know, I was always, like I mentioned, pirating, and I remember MP3s came out. Like, I started with a pet emulator, so we're, I was really bare bones uh, with computers. So... Those two things really converged around 2015. And uh, I remember one day I just started reading about Bitcoin on some forum somewhere. And it just tripped up uh, that memory of watching Bill Still and James Burke and learning about the history of money and thinking, oh, maybe this thing can work. I don't know. Let's, let's research it. So I, I took a year to learn a bit more about it, a bit more about it over time. You know, I didn't spend... I didn't have a eureka moment like, oh, the bulb went off and this is going to change my life. 
uh, I took a you know a long sort of approach just to get more more comfortable and familiar with it. And it's very interesting. It takes at least it took me about a month to be convinced that oh maybe this is something that we've needed all this time. You know, uh, fixing the 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 Byzantine generals problem is a huge thing that most people don't understand. Um, but then it takes about it took me about a year to really understand the philosophy of like to to accept it emotionally as this is a new type of asset that that's never existed don't think you'll be able to absorb it right away it's gonna take a while that's why i try to tell people when i orange pill them and i liken it almost to you know when i went to the bank with my dad when i was six years old and we walk into the bank and there's this bank machine thing there and I asked my dad, I pulled on him, I'm like, Dad, what is that? Because he knew I'm into computers and stuff like that. And he said, oh, that's, um, that's a, a, a digital or a computer bank machine. I'm not sure how to use it. Uh, they're trying to, to get people to use it. I don't know if it'll catch on or not. And so I was curious. And I, I always, I kind of looked at Bitcoin the same way. And I try to communicate that story to new Bitcoiners as well. And because I think the parallels are there. So that's how I got into Bitcoin. Nice, nice, BJ. That's a very unique and different story. I got um, in in 2017 and it took me three years to really understand it. When I first learned about it in 2017, you know, I was working in the financial banking industry. So I it was kind of taboo, but it took me till the pandemic to hit in 2020 for me to say like, oh, okay, I get it. I understand that this thing is really a paradigm shift and this is really it's like decoding the matrix with, with this technology. And once you can figure that out and realize that, like your propensity to actually learn about Bitcoin just becomes tenfold. You listen to, you want to absorb as much as you can about it. And uh, I love to just hear people's stories of how they got started. So um, thank you for that, that, that clear and concise answer on your orange pill journey. And it also, you know, once you, once you really understand it, it's like discovering freedom. And you want to share it with everybody. And then you're like, why won't anybody else listen to me? You know? And so the, it took a year to understand it and uh, several years for me to hone in these skills uh, to understand how to communicate to non-Bitcoiners slowly over time. I mean, we do this in my Discord. In my Discord, we have a, a Bitcoin uh, channel for people. It's not a, dis a Bitcoin Discord, but I have a channel for people who are new to Bitcoin to start sharing information. And uh, it seems to work. So th it just play the long game and uh, eventually people will get involved. Yes, I couldn't agree more with that. And I kind of want to peel back the layers and get into uh, the Freedom Convoy. So my question to you, BJ, is what sparked the Freedom Convoy? I know a lot of people might know, but I would love to just hear you expound on it. And how did Bitcoin become this focal point after fundraisers were frozen and people's um, bank accounts were destroyed? Um, well, you read the book, right? By the way, did you like the book? Okay, good. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Did it make you cry? I didn't cry, but I was definitely a, a bit emotional just because I was watching it on the news. So I could see like it kind of, it gave you a reminder. So like, I remember seeing the protests on the news. So the book was so accurately, you know, recorded of every experience, almost every experience what the truckers went through, um, the things that Trudeau was doing, the government, and this like balancing act between the Ottawa residents, truckers and Bitcoiners. It was like this synergy of three different ecosystems merging together to create this book. It was awesome. Yeah. Plus the 11 groups that were trying to uh, take over the Freedom Convoy, plus all the, uh, it was a, it was a nightmare, but uh, it, it was whack-a-mole, but 
I don't know. I, I look back on it favorably. It was just, it was a challenge, but okay. So what sparked it? Um, really what sparked it is, um, there's a fundamental difference in between Canada and the United States in terms of how we're governed. And boy, do you guys have it good and to a way that we never really appreciated here. And I think now people have a greater appreciation for your constitution and the, of the principles of states' rights. You're from Mass, so you understand why that's important, I'm sure. So in Canada, when we had all these um, restrictions, uh, whether you're in Quebec, Ontario, whatever, there were marginal differences in terms of which was worse, um, but very, very minute. So in, Can in Ontario, where I live, uh, there was hard lockdowns, um, hard masking, couldn't go out to dinner, couldn't go any, couldn't make your own decisions, right? Because... We don't make decisions anymore. That's for the government to do. But in Munch in uh, Quebec, you couldn't even leave your house. We could at least leave our house and walk on the streets. So in Canada, we didn't have an option. Um, it's not like, you know, for you guys, you lived in New York and you see this, you know, postmodern nonsense that's taken over the government of your city. Then you could say, okay, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to Florida. And you'd have a completely different basket of rules or regulations, or you wouldn't have any. We didn't have that. Doesn't matter where you go in this giant landmass, you would have exactly or very, very similar uh, rules and regulations because of the excessive amount of power of the federal government in the parliamentary system. So that's what really sparked it. Now, there was already an undercurrent of this. There was an attempt in a convoy in 2019 that got co-opted by the same political actors that co-opted uh, 2022. And that was because the West Western Canada had been economically decimated because of energy policy restrictions since the Trudeau government got into power. So we are an energy producer. We have massive amounts of oil in this country. So we elect a government who doesn't allow us to export that oil. What happens? Uh, it just caused massive economic strife and unemployment. So those undercurrents were there from the previous convoy. And you add a layer of the COVID restrictions. And as I said on Tucker Carlson, the bureaucracy treating us like insects, um, people just had enough and they decided that uh, it's time to act and it's time to have a protest and have a Convoy to end the mandates and the ArriveCan, which is the data tracking app. And as I said in many of my interviews, I mean, unlike Facebook, you can opt out. You can't opt out of your government. And there were no other places we could go. So we, we were left with no choice. So that's what's uh, what spawned the Freedom Convoy. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. And just, I mean, I'm sure people have seen it all over the the news or in your book or just places where um, they could find out how this thing got started. But it's just always good to hear it from the horse's mouth and like someone that was there from day one. And just seeing it from on the American side, it just seemed yeah. like this nefarious protest that like these truckers were blocking major intersections, bridges, and somehow, some way people couldn't get goods and services to and from Canada. And that they kind of harped on that, like on the economic um, damage that it was like, causing you as a trucker or someone that's in that industry, um, standing up for your rights or the little rights that you did have in Canada and kind of sticking to your guns in the midst of 
all the craziness, the threats, the lawsuits, and just kind of really sticking to that Bitcoin ethos of um, utilizing this digital currency for uh, freedom for all people, um, whether their race, color, or creed is completely different. If you're a Bitcoiner, your ethos is aligned. And I love to see it, BJ. Thank you. Well, you have to love how the political class and the corporate media class cherry pick their outrage. There was no outrage of businesses being shut down for two years. But as soon as some working class or small business owners, who are not the people who normally protest, by the way, come out to protest, then all of a sudden, there's uh, there's cause for concern. Um, it's it's really, I mean, I think what they, they did so much damage to the reputation of the political class and the legacy media. And that's also what's helped Bitcoin because they were also, oh, it's illegal crypto money and whatever. Like, okay, well, they lied about everything else. They're probably lying, lying about this as well. So I think it's helped us in many ways. Yes. And the other thing is, you know, when I, another thought, when I, left, and this is very, very important. When I walked out, uh, we had a, a commission that investigated uh, the Freedom Convoy. It was completely, it was, a, it, was, it was politicized. It was quite pathetic, especially the outcomes. It was just a parrot of completely fake reporting from the legacy media. And, and I think you've seen that legacy media is actually funded by the government here. So they, um, the, the report came out and it was complete, it was, it was nonsense. Um, but when I finished my testimony, I came out, it was three hours of grueling, uh, testimony because I was the only one of the only people there that didn't have standing. So I didn't, I had 20 parties against me. I had no parties on my side, uh, me and my lawyer. And that's about it. So I walked out after the three hour marathon oh, run man. and I, I walked out of the courthouse or the, the building that where they had the proceedings. And there was this woman on the street with a pride flag and Hong Kong and the truckers are all terrorists. Your terrorists go away and blah, blah, blah. And I walked up to her with my Instagram and I turned around and I did a video and I turned it on and I said, um, this woman here is exactly what the freedom convoy was protecting her right to speech as much as our right to speech. She's probably a wonderful person. I believe she's confused politically, but she has every right to say whatever she wants. And that's what we were protesting for. And that's a very, very important message. We weren't there just fighting for the individuals, the, the rights of a, a bunch of truckers. We were trying to protect the rights of everybody to not be subjected to authoritarianism and maintain uh, basic freedoms under British common law. 100%. And that makes me think about something too, BJ, where um, as this um, protest continued into the days and weeks, naturally, you know, truckers are stagnant. They're not doing hauls. They're not making any money. You naturally are going to need funding. And of course, Bitcoiners came to the rescue. At first, it was GoFundMe. You know, some people were trying to do Western Union and then those things got frozen. The government started to really hammer down on people transacting pair to pair, giving people Bitcoin or even just handouts, donations, whatever the case may be to the truckers. Then TallyCoin comes in. TallyCoin kind of becomes this middleman between the trucker and the Bitcoiner. And that worked for a little bit too. But then Honk Honk Hoddle comes in. I forgot the name of the gentleman that kind of, you know, burgeoned this, this, this sponsorship of the truckers. But I kind of want to hear 
your connection to Hong Kong HODL. And I did ask you, like, I wanted to really know about why the bounty of just five Bitcoin versus 10 or 20 or 100. I don't know if you can answer that, but um, what was your connection with Hong Kong HODL and how did you guys get connected during this Freedom Convoy? Okay, so the um, the first five Bitcoin, I don't know why they were uh, they were already ready uh, raising money for us, uh, Caribou and the rest of them. Who is just a solid dude? Follow him. No, nobody's Caribou on Twitter. Um, so him and a bunch of people were already setting uh, had already set something up. I don't know why they did the five uh, coin, but um, they were trying already to contact people in the trucking convoy and they kept uh, getting the door slammed in their faces. You know, one, I didn't know this Tamara never, never explained this to me, but somebody by the name of, uh, he uses the moniker Moses in, and he's in a lot of the Bitcoin spaces. He told me recently, I didn't even know this. He said he got Tamara on the phone and said, uh, we're raising Bitcoin for you. And her response was, uh, I don't need in magic internet money or I don't need video game money. Uh, I need real money. And so they, I guess they just got this assumption that there was nobody on board within the trucker convoy that was Bitcoin supportive. And then I guess they saw me on you know, one of the many, many interviews that I did. And they saw my name on Twitter and they saw hashtag Bitcoin in my description. They're like, wait, wait, he knows he's a Bitcoiner. So they, um, I, I remember I received, I, I can, it, it's etched in my mind. I was in the hotel room on the computer and I got this message up and uh, it was Caribou. He's using a different um, uh, avatar at the time. And he said, this is who I am. I'm like, okay, great. Nice to meet you. And I was getting thousands of messages. The fact that I happened to be there right at the same time was just crazy. So uh, he said, are you a Bitcoiner? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm a quiet Bitcoiner, but yeah, I've been hodling for quite a while. I'm you know, I'm not a program. You, you always feel embarrassed when you're not an actual programmer. You feel like kind of a lower sort of thing. So it's just a guy who hodled. And he's like, okay, well, uh, and he gave me a whole bunch of, I guess, qualifying questions. And I explained to him a little bit my background of uh, in Bitcoin, why I believe in it and how I got into it and all that sort of stuff. And he said, do you mind if I come see you tomorrow? And I said, yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, I'll I'll come by whatever time we agreed upon, and apparently, um, when he showed before he showed up at, at the hotel, he went on on his own, and then he told he found uh, and he could explain this in more detail, but he found other Bitcoiners on the street and said, "I'm going to meet BJ. Uh, he's a Bitcoiner." Uh, do you want to come? And they're like, oh, really? Yeah, let go. And then all of a sudden, there's like 15 of them. He started on his own. Then 15 of them come into my hotel room, all lined up in, you know, in winter clothes. Like free, it was minus 20 degrees or whatever. And um, all around the room. And I'm like, okay, so, hey, what's up? <laughs> right? And they're like, yeah, so we're trying to raise Bitcoin for you. And I'm like, okay, great. And you know, how are you going to custodial? What do you want to do? All that sort of stuff. So they explain they want to get money for the truckers and for, you know, um, other, I guess, other issues if there were, but basically for the truckers. And um, I said, yeah, listen, you got my blessing. Uh, I'm, I believe in Bitcoin. So I'm anything you need, let me know. And uh, I said, don't worry about the rest of them. I'll take care of the rest of them, the board and whatever. You just, I know Bitcoin. They know nothing. About, they can, Half of them can't even turn on a computer. So I'll deal with them. 
you go uh, go raise money and we'll reconvert. He said, okay, great. And then he was like, you need something for your leg. And like, they're really, you know, you see how loving people are in the Bitcoin community when uh, you're in that sort of difficult situation and everybody kind of comes together. Um, so I then attempted to inform, uh, I guess, the organizers, kind of a board thing, but it was really loose from time to time. We never really, But the people were kind of, uh, in charge of certain areas and I said, hey, we got some people that are uh, raising Bitcoin for us. And one of the people's like, that's criminal money for drugs or something like that, right? And I'm like, oh, God, it's like doing tech support with my mom. God. And I'm like, that's not what it is. Uh, I tried to, you know, rapid fire in um, orange pill people. And you know how they are. You start talking and two sentences in, they just kind of tune out. And so I knew I had my work cut out for me, but I'll let the guys do their stuff. And over time, I'll try to to uh, orange peel them. So that's how that all came about. Yeah. And, you know, the money that got put into the pot for Hong Kong Hotel was, I mean, it was so rapid. Like people were supporting from all over. I mean, the I remember seeing it like the poll and it was like, it just all the money that was frozen, people got it back and then some. But of course, like, you know, guys like you, Greg Foss, there was like this little battle on Twitter that I'd never forget, like where there were like certain Bitcoiners like complaining about how the money was being dispersed. And it was like it was it's one of those things where this is why I love to talk to you, BJ, because this is like a moment in history. Right. Like this Canadian convoy is something that 50 years from now people will be talking about in Canada and America. And it just makes me think about, you know, history is written by the victors, of course. And there was just this craziness with like Greg Foss, you people were complaining. And did you ever feel in your mind that this convoy was a test case for Bitcoin under pressure or under tyranny? Uh, Yeah, you could get a sense of that really early, uh, especially since everybody was very concerned um not just with how it's going to be distributed but you know government tracking and stuff like people were really worried about that again i'm not the techie i'm not the programmer so you know i was kind of trying to be it'll be okay guys you put on the shoulder don't worry we'll figure it out that sort of stuff um but yeah you you got that sense that there was some concern or maybe just people were being overly cautious but for whatever reason uh, did we know that it would result the way it did? Some people did. I didn't. I didn't think things would, we would get to a point where, uh, our government would implement, uh, Canada's equivalent of martial law for a bunch of, uh, trucks that are engaged in parking violations, which is exactly what it was. But, um, yeah, learn something new every day. But I do believe that was a pivotal moment for Bitcoin that in the future, uh, especially not only the Bitcoin community, but everybody will look down uh, upon that uh, that time is in a very different light than what we see. Once we get out of the political hysteria of the moment and our politicians have been changed over and then people can think clearly, I think they'll look differently about it. Uh, but I also do think, you know, this was the use case in the Western world where authoritarianism uh, blocked our bank accounts, and not just bank accounts, bank accounts, credit cards, lines of credit, any type of transaction. I couldn't buy a cup of coffee if I wanted 
nothing unless I had cash. And many places weren't accepting cash. Remember, because of COVID, you know, cash would have cooties on it. So people wouldn't use cash. And that's why, not to promote it again, but that's why I put a couple of chapters in this book specifically about the Bitcoin story, which could have been a book in itself because it really was uh, was crazy. But um, yeah, I'm hoping this will be uh, the the record for history of what happened because that's supposed to happen everywhere else, right? It's not supposed to happen here. And you knew there was something up when you see people, like you saw in the tally coin, people were donating from Nigeria and Chad and South Africa. Like they were donating from all over the world. It might've been a few sats and whatever, but the, the momentum and the concern and the love was there from all over the world coming into Canada saying, don't let Canada fall. You know, that's our hope. And uh, it was really touching to see. You know, from this point forward, like a lot of people, a lot of organizations, communities, when they find themselves squeezed or constrained in their sovereign rights, you know, they always have this as like a conduit to look at. This book is out in the world. It's in Amazon. It's in the libraries. It's all over. People recommend it to people. How do we in the Western world um, figure out how to um, free ourselves from government tyranny? And when I say tyranny, I'm not saying that like this is the most draconian situation. Of course, there's places in the world that are worse. But um, for the first world countries, I think that once you tell a Canadian or an American that they can't go here or they're being restricted on how much they can spend for the day, I think that opens up a lot of people's minds to saying, OK, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, why are we being constrained in this way? And, you know, our whole foundation of our country is based on having the right to protest, having the right to have free speech and to spend and do as we please with our money. And it just makes me think about the current situation we're in now with all these banks blowing up. And the world of Bitcoin is definitely here to stay. That's been proven during the convoy and before the convoy. And I wanted to ask you, BJ, as a trucker, how has inflation really impacted your day-to-day hauling and other truckers that might be going through, you know, large spikes in fuel prices, for example? For few, I mean, all truckers have different scenarios, right? You have uh, company drivers, you have owner operators, fleet managers, whatever. I'm an owner operator. And then all owner operators have different contracts. Some are exclusive to one carrier, some work for multiple carriers, right? So my current contract, I have a fuel subsidy. So I pay a certain price of fuel. So the increase in fuel prices has an effect on me. Okay, I've been very lucky, but there are a lot of truckers who have. However, (laughs) however, I needed a turbo. (laughs) A turbo all of a sudden was $13,000 and it was the last turbo in the country. Um, So things like that, the cost of repairs and maintenance uh, has gone through the roof. Uh, It's been absolutely ridiculous. And it's funny that people don't understand that that's not the way money is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be that a Corvette in the 1960s was $3,000 and now it's 140. That's not normal. That's not how money is supposed to work. You know, when for the thousands of years that we utilized gold in the various civilizations that's fallen, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. And that's just how it operates. And that's what we need to go back to. Uh, so it's been a good opportunity um, to communicate what Bitcoin is. 
uh, you know, with everything negative, I always see it as an opportunity. There's, you know, there's always two sides of the transactions. There's trade-offs for everything. So when you see that there's the negative impact of inflation on other truckers, that that becomes an opening to explain, yeah, that's why we got Bitcoin to the truckers. So not only is it freedom, but it can't be inflated away. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, as we like to say, right? And uh, that kind of helps open up the discussion, at least it has with me, with other truckers. And there's been a lot of people who previously, who you know, all of us are like this, right? We talk to everybody in our lives, in our networks about Bitcoin, and 80% of the people are like, yeah, I don't understand it. And they just don't want to hear it, right? Boy, did that change after the convoy, especially with Canadians, that they say, okay, well, uh, now I'm interested. You know, before I wasn't, before, but until, I think it was Pomp who described Trudeau as the chief marketing officer for Bitcoin, until that opportunity came along, people weren't interested. And now, you know, there were some journalists, for example, younger journalists, independent journalists who I know, who were reporting on the convoy on the ground. They were not interested in Bitcoin before. They saw how Bitcoin came through and was the only money. There was a, a 800 and something thousand dollars in Bitcoin is what got to the truckers. It's the only money that got into the hand of truckers beyond, you know, a few hundred bucks cash here and there that was given to people, right? Um, they saw that happen. And then what happened? They said, they said to me, hey, we, um, we heard you're speaking at the Bitcoin conference in Miami. We want to come down and report on it. I'm like, oh, wait, I thought I thought you weren't interested. You heard me on Mark Petroni's show talking about it. And you know, like, I mean, you know, maybe there's something there. So um, it was a wonderful moment for Bitcoin to prove its case. And it was an excellent moment in history that we should all remember uh, to red pill people because that hyperbolic situation that we always said would happen somewhere else, it happened DJ here. Is one thing that I took away from this convoy, this experience, just seeing it as like a moment in history is I gained a healthy respect for truck drivers. Of course, naturally you see truck drivers on the highway. You're just, you just see them driving. They're like doing their own thing, but you never really realize how much of the lifeblood of society truckers are. And yeah. once Canada had the moment they had, I think Canadians even realized like, holy crap, like we need truckers. They do all of our hauling for our milk, our sugar, our water, our supplies for supermarkets, logs for, you know, firewood, whatever the case may be. And it's like a lot of people didn't really understand the importance of a trucker until this freedom convoy came. And then they were able to really realize like, oh, snap, we need Bitcoin, we need truckers, and we need that freedom. So, uh, you know, this book, I hope people really grab it, pay attention to it. And BJ, before we go, I want you to give people your social media handles and any future endeavors you might want people to know about in this episode. Uh, yeah. Okay. So first thing is you can get this wonderful book that hopefully, hopefully is a tearjerker at honkingforfreedom.com and learn the story of, uh, of Bitcoin wherever it's available. The links will be there right now. It's on Amazon. Kobo, Etsy, and Apple Books we just released as well. Uh, everybody's asking me about the audiobook. Just be patient. It's going to be a while, but uh, there will be an audiobook, and we're also talking about other languages and stuff like that too. So that's, that's the other thing. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at uh, BJ Dichter on Twitter. Honkingforfreedom.locals.com uh, is where I do my live streaming, and if you want to help contribute. Uh, also on YouTube. Uh, youtube.com forward slash bjd online also on rumble honking for freedom 
And I don't know, I'm all over the place. And you see me in Bitcoin spaces and Cafe Bitcoin. Today you were in uh, Bitcoin Magazine space. I was there again uh, today. So you see me around. I'm, I'm available. If you want to reach out to me, don't hesitate. I can't always get back to you right away because I do get a lot of messages. But I do try to respond to everybody. And I do try to have also face-to-face -face time. That's why I try to go to these Bitcoin uh, get-togethers uh, when I can to see other people so we can talk more about it and everything that we went through and uh yeah so reach out to me anywhere um honkingforfreedom.com at bj dictor just about everywhere and uh or honking for freedom locals youtube rumble you'll find me once again bj thank you for your honesty your transparency and just shedding light on the experience that you had for the freedom convoy and how bitcoin has kind of a really loud allowed you to really just be free and to not only be free but to allow other people the gift of freedom so thank you for being on the bitcoin source a bitcoin conversation have a good one bitcoin saved us it really saved us in ottawa thank you all right brother talk to you soon Oh, 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 oh,